episode 43, Keep Calm and Test On. Educators, is your passion tank running on empty? Look no further. Gretchen of Always a Lesson has a double dose of just what you need. Come fill yourself up with an empowering educator's podcast to start your day feeling empowered. Hi, elite educators. This is Gretchen from Always a Lesson. Whether you're teaching a lesson or learning one yourself, this podcast is for you. I'm here to empower you to reach your potential, and I refer to you as elite because only an elite educator would take time to invest in themselves by listening to a podcast like this to help hone their craft. I always like to start my episodes by thanking you all for tuning in each week. Your reviews are very thoughtful, and I want to thank you, Trailer Lovehorn, for your review entitled, Yes, It's About Time which read, Gretchen's love of learning and passion for helping educators impact the lives of students comes through loud and clear in each episode. Very professional and organized. Thanks for taking time to share your appreciation. I love how specific you were in your compliment, so I know what I should keep doing, and it sounds like my love of education is empowering to others, and that is exactly what I set out to do. I also appreciate you mentioning it's professional and organized, as I'm really trying hard to be timely and purposeful with the content of my podcast. So thanks so much, Trailer. If you enjoyed the show, help me by subscribing and leaving a rating with a review. This just tells iTunes to keep pushing out the show, which helps more and more teachers each day. So stop by and share what you love about the show so I can make sure I keep doing just that. I recently hit a milestone, 6,000 downloads, so thank you so much for tuning in. It's exciting to see those numbers grow. That means more and more teachers are really able to feel empowered, and that's the whole purpose of what I'm doing this for. I've learned from so many others that came before me, and I feel like it's my duty to pass it along to you so that you, too, can pass it along to someone else. Today, I want to help you reignite your passion and potential by talking about keeping your sanity through the testing season. This podcast is especially for new teachers who are facing testing season for the first time, but also it's chock full of ideas for you veteran teachers who are still struggling through that pain of yet another testing season. So hang on. This is going to be one empowering ride. If you haven't done so, go back and listen to episode 12. It's called More Than a Test Score because that really sums up my feelings about testing. But I do have a small rant that I kind of want to share with you, mainly because this time of the year is just so stressful for many educators. I am currently doing a book study with a bunch of educators on the book, Teach Like a Champion. If you're interested, shoot me an email. I'll add you to the group, Gretchen at alwaysalesson.com. But they were silent for so long, and I'm like, what is going on? Is Are people still interested? And they're like, oh, spring break, and, you know, oh, it's testing, and work is crazy, and it just brings me back because now that I get to go see lots of different schools and teachers, everyone has a different schedule. So I forget that this upcoming week is kind of like really big 
and most of the locations and reminded me how much I hated that time of year where I had no life and was so stressed out and all I thought about were numbers and data and collecting everything and like, oh my God, are they going to do their best? And I'm also hiring right now for a magnet school in Harlem and there's silence on their end too, trying to set up some interviews because everyone's on spring break and New York has some big testing, I think last week and this week. And man, people are like, I just can't even think about interviewing as much as I want next year to be great and be part of this school. Like I just can't even wrap my head around it. And, and I remember that. I remember thinking I can't not even think about tonight because I have to make it through today, let alone what I'm doing this weekend. And that's so rare, right? Cause you live for your weekends, let alone what's happening this summer or next year. So I get it. I mean, you're squeezing in all your content that you have to make sure you hit based on pacing guides and standards, but then you're pulling small groups and you're reteaching something you've taught previously. And then you're just preparing for the test itself. So you're just lucky if you get to sleep, <laughs> let alone, you know, have a life right now. So I get it. And so that's why I really wanted to make this podcast episode for you today that it'll bring you some happiness and some cheer and something to look forward to. When I taught third grade um, in North Carolina, that was the my kiddo's first experience with testing. And this was a huge test. I mean, four hours long. It was math one day, um, reading another day, and then math without a calculator a third day. I don't even know why it had to be a separate test. Regardless, so it was three days, and then fifth graders had a science test that fourth day. And then the last day of the week was makeup. So if you happen to be absent one of those days, like that was your day. And if you missed more than one test, guess what you were doing all day long? Oh my God, it's awful just thinking about it. But my kids way back, so I've been out of the classroom for three years and taught for a decade. So God, it's been forever. But back when it first started, if they didn't finish the test, anything that wasn't answered was counted wrong because when you throw the Scantron sheet through the machine, anything that's blank is just marked wrong. And so the kids were so stressed about just answering all the questions in the time allotted, let alone getting them right. It's no longer like that. I think they just say whatever you finish is great and it's graded, which I think is more fair. But with third grade, it's a gateway year. So it determined if you were going to move up to fourth grade. And the same thing is true in fifth grade if you move on to middle school and eighth grade to move on to high school. So these gateway years, the pressure is like on because especially in third grade, it's your first time ever taking a test like this. So you're just stressed out and just wondering what the test is like, let alone like doing well on it. But it's a gateway. It's like pass or fail. Like you don't do well. Well, then you have the option to retake. And if you don't do well there, then you've got summer school. And if you don't do well there, you're repeating that grade. I mean, that's just a lot for a kid to take on. And then you as a teacher are freaking out because you already know, you know, which kids are going to struggle and which kids are going to do well because it's the same content they've had all year. So it's like, okay, if you were able to demonstrate learning, then you, you should be okay. But you guys over here who don't show up or you have attitudes or you don't complete your assignments or you're not interested, like, good luck to you, you know, and that's reflected on me and whether I get a bonus or whether I get a paycheck, whether I keep my job. Oh, it's just a lot in just one test. So both students and teachers are kind of shaking in their boots right now. I mean, I remember my clothes would get more comfy around this time of year. My hair was always up in a messy bun. I was sweating because I was running around the classroom like 
working in the classroom at really strange hours, like eating the worst food imaginable because I just had to throw something in my stomach. I was constantly putting together materials for centers and, and review. I mean, I had like 45 lesson plans for one day because I had so many different groups. I was trying to make sure everyone got what they needed. I was trying to be everything to everyone and barely doing that. And then I was communicating a tons with parents to like share their progress and just let them know what this testing is going to be like. A lot of them, it was their first child going through this, and they were freaking out. So just everyone during this time of year, it's like, please just get me through. Testing has absolutely become ridiculous. I, I hate it. I think being able to demonstrate your learning is super helpful for a teacher to know what they need to help you with. You know, where are you in terms of your acquisition of skills? So I think the premise of a test is great, but a four-hour test, it's like giving, I, I remember a math teacher gave us like 50 problems to solve, and then finally someone said, I'm only going to give you 10, because if you do 10 right, you're probably going to do 50 right, and if you do 10 wrong, you're probably going to do 50 wrong. It's not about the amount, it's about the quality, so pick the 10 best ones, and let's do that, and I thought, that is brilliant, and you're absolutely right, and now I don't dread this homework assignment. And so the, the same thing is with this test. Like, why so many and why so long? Like, let's just give the best of the best questions that are really going to give us the information we need and go on from there. But I know we're all trying to stay competitive, and we're all trying to be on the same page, and a lot of us in our district's funding is tied to testing, and it's just like you're caught no matter which way you try and work around it. And I know even my district has started opting out of testing, so then you're moving to a portfolio system, which is a little less stressful, but a ton more work on the teacher just to keep track and make sure everything's there. And so it's kind of like, well, it's sort of a better solution on one end, but on the other end, it's like, a little stressful in a different way. So I think we have yet to just figure out what is best for our kids. But man, I hope I look back on this time and say, how did I ever survive? Because this is absolute mayhem. I hope it doesn't get worse. I hope it only gets better. For me, I was a horrible test taker. But I went on to be become successful. I got degrees and I got variety of jobs and, you know, other such accomplishments. And so I think it's really important to share your own story with your kids. You know, I remember when I looked at my teachers, I thought, wow, they passed every grade and now they're coming back to teach it. They must like really know this stuff. And I remember it being hard. Like history for me was so ridiculously hard. It was boring, which is really the problem. I don't, I shouldn't say it was hard, but I just wasn't interested. So I'd always look at my teacher like, God, she knows so much. Little did I know she like read the chapter ahead of us and thought about how to teach it and then came in, you know. But I just remember thinking like, God, these people are so accomplished and will I ever be able to do that? And I remember I got a C one time and I was crying and my teacher came to me and said, what is wrong? A C is not bad. I was like, it's the worst grade I've ever gotten. Oh my God, I'm never going to become a teacher. Who's going to hire a teacher that got a C? <laughs> that means she doesn't know what she's teaching. And she looked at me and she said, honey, if I could count all the times I got a C on something and look what I'm doing. And I looked at her like she blew my mind. I didn't know teachers got C's before. And I was just like, thank you for being a human and letting me know your faults and letting me see that it's going to be okay, that there's life after this 
report card and there's life after this huge test. And I always think of my dad. He's so successful. Uh, he finished college, but he didn't go on to get a master's degree. And nowadays I feel like if you don't have a master's, like you're not going to make a lot of money or you're not going to be really successful. It's like always upping the ante before you know it. It's like every teacher is going to have to get a PhD just to stand apart. But you know, my dad was the VP of international sales for Pepsi for numerous years. And for him to get up in front of a group of people and everyone has tons of degrees and, and certifications. And he was just uber successful because of who he was. And that really put it into perspective that, God, that's this piece of paper that I think is going to help me really doesn't. And I think you should share that with kids that it's all about what you do with your knowledge and what you do with your talent. Like, of course, my dad wasn't just successful because he didn't get a master's. It was all the other stuff that made up for it that was more valuable than the actual piece of paper. Yeah, he probably could have gone back and gotten it and done fine and, and whatever. But a lot of his success was because of his innovation and because of his leadership style and the way he really had a vision for what was happening and the way he communicated with others. And those are the skills I wish we were spending more time on. Like, do you think critically? Do you think outside the box? Do you communicate well with others? Do you ask questions? Do you ask more questions? Do you ask even more questions? Are you open to learning new things and trying out new strategies? Do you take your time? Do you think it through? Do you double check? I mean, these skills are what is making people successful, not a written test. And I wish... I preached that more when I was in the classroom that even though you have an A on this assignment or even though you have an A on your report card, it doesn't mean that this is who you are. There are many people who failed out of school that became super successful. And I know I've said this before and you probably heard it a million times, but Michael Jordan, he was kicked off his basketball team in high school and it was because he just needed more practice. And so what did he do every day after school? It was almost a blessing that his coach said, you know, we can't have you on the team this year because that was the motivation he needed to just keep shooting every day after school until he developed that inner talent. And so sometimes it's a shut door that really pushes you to strengthen something that's going to be your key asset in a few years. And I want kids to know these success stories that you idolize these people, that they have faults too. They're not great at everything, that they've overcome obstacles, that they've had shut doors. They didn't get jobs. They've been told ugly things and they, it's what they've done with it. It's, they kept showing up. They kept trying new things. I mean, recording artists, in order to stay on the top, you can't just have this one really good song. It's You have to keep creating great songs after every great song. That's a lot of pressure, too. And so you have to be creative, and you have to really lean on yourself to do that. And no piece of paper and no test is really going to showcase that. There are many people who have done amazingly well in the school system and then have failed out in real life because they just weren't prepared. They they were so great on written tests and, you know, their SAT was like a perfect score. And then they can't even socialize properly or they can't manage a team or, you know, they just really struggle with work-life balance. And, you know, there are so many factors here that make someone successful that I really want students to know that we're going to continue with testing. But this isn't like an end-all, be-all. It's something we've got to do. It's a hoop we all jump through. It's a part of the process. 
and we're going to check off that box and then we're going to move on to something else. It is not going to define you. So I think I've spent a lot of my time here um, airing my frustration and I'm sorry to do that, but I hope you find solace knowing how I feel about it. So I'm not like, yeah, testing is great. Like it's no big deal. I'll get over it. Like I totally get it. I, I wish I didn't get it, <laughs> but I feel you more than you know. There's nothing we can do about it. So let's just get down to business and talk strategies. So I put together 10 that I want to give you. Um, there's even a cool poster that is on my Teachers Pay Teacher store if you want to grab it. It's the acronym BREATHE. Um, it's something I've printed out every year. You can give it to students to hang in their desks or their lockers or glue it into their notebooks or just hang it in the front of the room. It's a great reminder for just remaining calm and, and all the strategies that they can use to breathe during the test. So feel free to hop over to Teachers Pay Teachers Always a Lesson and, and snag that. But let's go through. Number one, be open and honest about the purpose of the test. So you want to remind students, hey, we have this test coming up and this is why. Because a lot of times we just jump into what's going to be on the test, but let's just set the scene. The state wants to make sure that the way we set up our educational system is working, that we're not failing our kiddos by being horrible teachers or not teaching the right things, totally take ownership over that because that is partially true. And then you could say, and it's really great information for us teachers to know where we need to help you next. And so now kids really are like, okay, I get why I have to do this. Another thing you want to do is give them a run through of the logistics. I know for me as a type A, I wanted to know what does this day look and feel like? So the more that you can just tell them okay, you're going to walk in, it's going to look like this, this is how long it's going to take. They can just start wrapping their heads around it and even start visualizing that day. That helps that anxiety go down because it's no longer an unknown. They're like, okay, I can see what this is going to be like. Number two, give students practice in the testing environment. So even if they're just reading a book or like starting on homework, they don't have to really be doing the content, but get them experience and exposure in the actual environment. So for me, everything had to be off my walls. It had to be super quiet, which is weird because I always had music playing. It was low, but I just, I never did well with silence. And the desks had to be in rows. They couldn't be in my collaborative group. So I rearranged my room. I, I just started taking things down early. As we were going over it, I would take it off the wall. All the cutesy stuff started to come down. The kids were like, this is really depressing. And I'm like, well, I, I agree. I hate it. But I think it's better to do it now so you this becomes your new normal. So it's not you come in and it's culture shock that day. And you're all like looking around like, what is this? And your attention and focus is, is on the room and not on the test. So just really allowing them to feel what that day is going to be like. And you might think like, okay, my kids have taken the test before. It's not their first year. But maybe they're in a new school. Or, or maybe it's not their first time. But I think it's great to just walk through it with them and, and say, hey, this is what it's going to be like. And kids may say, oh, yeah, I've done this before. And you're like, great, you're a pro. I mean, just take the time, even if you think they're prepared and ready. Even major athletes go through stretching and, and all the foundational things just like someone would be doing for the first time. Number three, give students practice with the testing material. Well, that sounds like an obvious. So, for example, I gave multiple choice options on some assignments that didn't normally. Maybe they were always fill in the blank or they were essay or, you know, vice versa. So whatever the test is going to be like, build that in. Um, 
but what I would say even more specifically is try and mimic the font and the size and the formatting. That way when they see the paper, they're not like super freaked out. They're like, oh, I've seen something that looks like this before. And you can access old tests online. And so you can show them that. So say, this is what it looks like. It's two columns. You're going to read a story. They don't have pictures or, or maybe whatever your state does and whatever your test looks like. But start shaping your assignments or your homework to look similar to the same format. So, you know, if if things are a quarter of a page, we'll make them a quarter of the page on every assignment so that they're used to looking at it and it becomes familiar. If you're understanding what I'm saying in the last couple suggestions I've made is you want them to, that the day of the test is not the first time they're seeing and feeling this experience, that it's going to be old hat and so that they can really just hone in on doing their best. Take all the guesswork out of it. I spent a lot of time giving kids bubble sheets. So we bubbled for just the dumbest things. It was like bubble your name and, you know, bubble your address or bubble your best friend's name. And and I know you're laughing at me probably because you're a middle school or high school, like, oh my God, your kids can't bubble. But in third grade, remember, it was their first time. So holy hell, it was like they couldn't bubble in completely. So they're, they're, coloring skills had become out of whack since the last time they've colored, which in our educational system was probably pre-K or something. But they were like out of the bubble or it was too light or it was way too dark. They punched holes through it. Then they'd erase it and it would erase the bubble and then the Scantron wouldn't work. And oh my God, it was a mess. And then the kids would be misaligned. So their notebook would have all the correct answers, but then the Scantron sheet was messed up, they'd skip a row or they put two bubbles in a row or they just transferred letters. Like instead of B, it was D. And I'm like, this is, I'm so glad I figured this out before test day because this would have been a nightmare because they don't take the actual booklets. They just take the Scantron sheet. So if you had it right in the booklet, but you put it down wrong, like that's your problem. So the more that we could just learn to bubble, the better off they were when they saw that that day. And they're like, okay, like I've got a rhythm. I've got a flow. I know what this is like. Strategy number four, share test-taking strategies. And so half the battle is just knowing how to take a test. Um, so I wouldn't, for example, I would tell them don't spend too much time on one problem. Just mark it and with some sort of symbol and just come back later. If you're spending more than 10 minutes on something, you're wasting a lot of brain time. And remember that test originally was timed. And so if they spent too long on one, then it guaranteed they weren't going to finish in time. So that's really why that started. But I mean, why, why get frustrated? I think it's a great strategy anytime. It's just like, if you're really stuck or you've narrowed it down to two and you can't decide, just pause and get your mind off it, come back with a new perspective and a few problems. You know, other things like underlining text evidence or making notes in the margins or reading the question before reading the selection, using graph paper to keep your numbers aligned, whatever the strategy might be, just share with them these things and model it for them and give them options to try. I wouldn't push it down their throats that they have to do XYZ strategy, but say, hey, I'm going to introduce one today. I did a strategy a day for probably a month leading up. And said, here's what this could look like in every subject that you'll see. And, and this is why it's beneficial. Remember, always giving that purpose so they understand the why. And then give them plenty of time to practice. So they could kind of figure out what system works well 
for them. I mean, some of my kids love to skip around the test. They did the short passages first, or they did um, the computation problems first before the word problems. Some like to mark the tricky problems and come back and do it at the end. But they're not going to know what works for them by you telling them what to do and then making them do it. I used to walk around on test day and watch everyone do exactly what I taught them to do. And then I'd get frustrated if kids were derailing and did their own thing. But what I ended up learning is they were much more calm and much more successful when they just found their own way. So multiple years after, I would just have that conversation with them, you know, especially if they were skipping around the test. I really wanted to talk about make sure you go back and, and check to make sure your answers match the Scantron and the booklet. So what I would suggest to you is like checking in one-on-one with your kids after you've shared a couple strategies and they've practiced and ask them, hey, what works for you? What strategy do you feel really good about, feels natural to you? Let's think through potential hotspots for that one strategy. So like, for example, the skipping around the book thing. Well, that may help you. You may feel like you're being more productive by getting the easier problems out, out of the way, but you know, the big downfall of that is your answers could be off and, and you know that Scantron sheet is the end-all be-all for that test. So what's our strategy here? What's our plan? And, and allow them to really think through how their strategy could go wrong and make sure that they have all the information because the last thing you want to do is see them struggle on the test with one of their strategies and you can't help them. It's too late by then. So really helping them think through pros and cons of what's working for them and then give them more time to think through it. Strategy number five, encourage and praise go a long way. So words of affirmation, hugs and high fives. I mean, of course, you can do candy on the day of the test, um, tons of stuff on Pinterest for that. But just thanking your kids for showing up when they're tired and they're sick of working on the same weakness or tricky concept. But remind them of their growth and their progress, not just the actual outcome, like you're reading on a level D and you're supposed to be on an S, like you're really far off, is really not motivating. But if you say, holy cow, look how much you've grown since last week, you are on your way. And instead of focusing on the actual outcome, can really motivate and boost kids to keep showing up and keep trying, even if they're really far from what you need them to be. Praise students for taking risks, for digging down deep and giving it their best. I mean, it's training day. And every step that they take, just shout it out. Let them know you see it, that you appreciate it, and how much is benefiting their own achievement in the long run. So regardless of what happens the day of the test, if they gave it 110%, did everything you asked of them, then they're successful. And you should be dang proud. Change the energy in the room. No more freaking out. No more tears and frustration. Build momentum and excitement because test day is showtime. They get to show off in a new way. Strategy six, remind the kiddos that they're capable and that they're ready. They are going to doubt themselves, especially the closer that day finally comes. Like I think it would be great if you made a slideshow of of pictures that you've taken all throughout the year of, of them preparing and Reminding them of all the activities they've completed to prepare for this day. Go back in time and just relive those experiences. So something you could say to them is like, remember the day I told you about this big scary test? Remember how big your eyes got all wide and you could never imagine knowing enough information to even take such a big test? Well, we're here now, and that science project you did, that math task and the riddles you completed, the hours worth of reading, all that was preparing you. 
Look back and remember where you started and how far you've come. You're at the top of the mountain. Stand proud for all you've accomplished. There were times you didn't think you were going to make it, times you were tired and worn out and not interested, but every day you showed up ready to give it a good try, and every day you got stronger in your mind and more resilient in your confidence, and I am so proud of where you are and am honored to be your teacher. Something like that is really going to make kids want to show up and keep on trying. Strategy seven, reward students afterwards with downtime. So movie clips or recess, chatting with friends, ordering a pizza, something. It's not a bribe. So it's not related to the results of the test. It's just a reward for their hard work. So you should never cram for a test, take the test, and then go back home to study for the next one. That is not going to make you motivated to keep living that kind of life. You can cram, take the test, and then you go out and you grab your favorite fast food or a favorite treat. It makes the hell of the process worth it. And so kids need that exhale too. And so do you, to be honest. Strategy number eight. Whatever you do, don't share your anxiety with the kids. So watch your face, watch your mannerisms, your tone. They pick up on everything. So if you're frustrated with the process or with the expectations, just lean on a colleague after hours. Scream and cry at home. You have got to let it out so that it doesn't stay with you and then secretly get conveyed to your kids. Strategy number nine. Avoid test book overload. So as I was mentioning before, you want to expose your kids to the format of the test and the content of the test, but it doesn't have to be for hours on end, weeks leading up to the test. So bring a problem in here and there throughout your instruction. Maybe it's part of the warm-up or a homework problem or a guided practice example or just a turn and talk with a partner. I mean, there's endless possibilities. Get creative so it doesn't get boring and students tune out. You don't want to push it down their throat so that when it's time for the test that they don't do their best because they're so over it. Lastly, strategy number 10, make this whole prep time fun. So have spirit days to keep the focus on fun and off the humdrum practice. I used to have a principal that told us it has to be a serious environment. They have to know how serious this is. We can't crack a smile. We don't want them to just give up and and relax and think that this isn't serious. But what I realized is I was doing more harm than good by not building in everyday joy. And it's not going to hurt everybody if you have a crazy sock day or Everyone wear lucky green day. I mean, kids are going to thank you for bringing that joy during a stressful time. You can smile, you can laugh, uh, you can be silly, and you can still be effective. I mean, it's not being that way all day long, but you got to give yourself some release and same thing with them. And sometimes the kids are just hard enough on themselves that if you're hard on them too, that's really just what kills kids. So having a teacher who makes time to just breathe is really encouraging. You know, I'd show up if my teacher was a little wacky and was going to make me laugh and feel special and really support me when I'm preparing for a big day. So as I was mentioning before at the beginning of the podcast, head on over to Teachers Pay Teachers. Look me up. Always a lesson. I have got a great testing poster for you. It's called Breathe. It's an excellent acronym for students. A great reminder for you all. Well, all right, Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's podcast on keeping calm and testing on. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered.
podcast is sponsored by the Educators Podcast Network, a podcast network that encourages you to think about your profession and succeed in the world of education. Whether you're a first-year educator or a seasoned veteran, there is a podcast for you. All of the shows are produced by educators who want to shape education through meaningful discussion and content. So head on over to edupodcastnetwork.com for more details. (laughs) 